So uh, this weekend, it's been really great being with you guys. Thanks again to, to your campus ministers and interns for allowing me and Garrett to come out and experience New Mexico in the Southwest. It's been really great. Uh, already planning some family vacay with my kids to come out here because it's truly enchanting. And um, it's, it's because it's the land of enchantment, guys. Um, but thanks for letting us be here. And uh, it's been a joy, joy with you to look at the scripture together and to talk with you guys. And I just want to encourage you as you head back to your campuses today and get back into studying and all that stuff that... Um, anything that someone has said to you this weekend or that you heard from up here or talked about in your discussion group, um, don't let it stop here. Like, let that conversation continue as you get home. The, the way that God, it's like when we were doing the confession together, the way that God calls us to grow, to, to grow is with other people by talking about what God is doing in us. And that really um, helps us to see Jesus. So take that back with you. Hang out with your intern campus minister or friend that was here. Continue to ask questions and talk. It would be for your good. And uh, so what we've been seeing this, this weekend is that, God, that God's intentions for us are to make us fully human, to make us like Jesus. We've seen that he gives us new life. Jesus gives us faithfulness, and he gives us joy. And um, the, the, the biggest thing that God wants to do in our life um, to change us, to make us like Jesus, is to make us people who love, to make us lovers. Um, I, one time I was sitting down with a freshman guy, and he was like, could you give me like a mission statement for my life? Which was like marginally intimidating, you know, because um, like, I don't know. And so I was just like, um, well, the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul, your strength, your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he was like, that's really unsatisfying. Um, but that is what God wants to, to do in us, is to make us people that love God and that love our neighbors, that love people well. And uh, we're going to be looking in the book of Hosea in the Old Testament. And so basically, if you're flipping through your Bible and you get to the Psalms, and then there's these guys called the major prophets, like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. And then you're going to get to a little book called Hosea. It's right after Ezekiel. It's, let somebody help you find it. Books have tables of contents, so does the Bible. Um, but here's why I want to look at Hosea with you. The story of Hosea is one of the most beautiful and visceral pictures of God's love. And when I was a sophomore at Georgia Southern, and I was friends with Anna Coppage's uh, brother, Nathaniel Counts, and I went to RUF because my friends invited me. There was, a, there was a, a, a bald guy preaching in the front talking about the book of Hosea. And the story of Hosea kind of goes like this. Hosea was a prophet in Israel. And God said, I want you to go marry this woman. Her name was Gomer. She had a troubled life, maybe stemming from the fact that her name was Gomer. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> but the thing about Gomer was that Gomer was a prostitute. And so Hosea goes and he marries her. And so, you know, she had all these lovers, like, in her past. And Hosea marries her and, like, becomes a husband to her and they have children. But eventually what happens is that Gomer leaves Hosea, who had cared for her and been a husband to her, uh, and given her a new life. And she goes back to her old lovers because she prefers her old lovers to her husband. And um, what God tells Hosea to do, he says, I want you to go... And you could buy a, a, a woman that was in the sexual trade. Like, you could buy her to be, like, your private possession. He says, I want you to go. I want you to pay the price to buy her, but not to be your prostitute, but to buy her back to be your wife, to show your love to her. 
And I, I was sitting there as a sophomore and he was like, and listening to this guy and he was like, that's how God loves us. That we love other things so much more than we love God and we chase after them with everything in us. And yet he comes to us in Jesus to buy us back, not to shame us, not to, to make us slaves, but so that he can love us and be a husband to us. And that absolutely rattled me um, forever. And last night I was actually talking with some campus ministers about, do you guys know who Hugh Hefner is? Okay, he like started Playboy magazine. And, um, and we won't get into all that. But um, his first marriage was to a woman. And, and, and when he was engaged to her, he found out that she was uh, being unfaithful to him, like right before their, right before their wedding. And he married her anyway, and, and um, what, what, what struck me about that is that someone was interviewing him recently and said, why did you marry her even though you knew that she was unfaithful? And he said, when I thought about her unfaithfulness, all I wanted to do was hold her. Um, and that's amazing. I mean, she ended up leaving him uh, eventually. But I just thought, well, that is such a picture of God, our Father's love toward us, is that in our unfaithfulness, he just wants to hold us and to be a husband to us. And that's why I want to look at Hosea with you. We're going to be in Hosea chapter 11. And I hope that God can teach us how to be lovers. Um, Hosea 11, I'm going to read quickly because I've already been babbling on. So um, Hosea 11, this is the word of the living God. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love. And I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. And I bent down to them and fed them. They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king, because they have refused to return to me. The sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates, and devour them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on turning away from me. And though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. They shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion, and when he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria, and I will return them to their homes, declares the Lord. Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you um, for this weekend. Thank you for the fun that we've had. And we thank you that we have this one last opportunity before we head back um, to Fort Collins or Colorado Springs or Lubbock or Las Cruces. Um, one last chance to hear that you are warm in your compassion and that you're tender to us. And Lord, I just ask that you would help us um, by opening our ears and our eyes and our hearts to your word. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So that what God wants to do in your life is to make you a lover, make you someone that loves him and loves other people. And a definition that I'm, of, of love that I want to start off with that I'm adapting from, again, from Tim Keller is this. Love is the act of seeking the good of another solely because of their intrinsic value. Okay? Love is the act of seeking the good of another solely because of their intrinsic value. So 
First thing that means for you is that love is an action. Love is not a feeling state. Love is an action. It's a do word. Um, This comes across really strongly in our romantic loves, our romantic relationships. We're looking for somebody that can, like, kind of give us, like, a certain feeling that makes us feel a certain way. They make us feel alive. They make us feel like a new person. And so then that's that's what we decide to, what love is. Uh, Aziz Ansari, um, whom I love, uh, from Parks and Rec and um, from Master of None, he's amazing. He did a study on love with a, with a sociologist and wrote a book last year or two years ago. And he said this. He said, we want something that's very passionate or boiling from the get-go. In the past, people weren't looking for something boiling. They just needed some water. Once they found it and committed to a life together, they did their best to heat things up. Now, if things aren't boiling, committing to marriage seems premature. And that's true in our romantic relationships. We're like, if, if I'm not like dying to be with this person from, from the get-go, then there's, then there's no love. But we also do that in our other relationships, in our friendships, our relationships with our family, our relationship with people in our community, is that we're looking for a feeling of love first, and then we can act. But love is not a feeling state. Love is an intentionality toward another person. Love is acting on another person's behalf. It's a do word. And if you look at how God talks about his love in this passage here in Hosea, all of it is worked out in action. If you look through the first couple verses there, he says, When Israel was a child, I loved him. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Um, The more that they were called, the more they went away. And then look what he says in verse 3. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. Ephraim's another name for Israel. I took them up by their arms. Some of you guys have played with your campus minister's kids this weekend. And part of the thing is like picking them up, you know, by their little arms and teaching them how to walk, helping them walk. He says that he fed them. He led them with with cords of kindness. He talks about them like they were an animal that he loves that has been worked too hard. He says, I ease the yoke on their jaws. God has worked his love out for his people in action, in time. And C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, love in the Christian sense does not mean an emotion. And it's not a state of the feelings, but of the will. The state of the will which we naturally have about ourselves and we must learn to have about other people. Think about how you love yourself. Some of you guys can't stand to look at yourself in the mirror. Um, and it's hard to even think about yourself, that you, you loathe yourself. And there's lots of reasons for that. Some of you guys love to take a look in the mirror every time you walk past it or you're walking down the street. Um, And some of you guys are really confident. Most of us, depending on the day, bounce between those two poles, maybe depending on the hour. Um, But regardless of how you feel about yourself, everybody seeks their own well-being. You guys groom yourselves, you feed yourselves, you're educating yourselves. You seek your own well-being no matter how you feel about yourself. And what C.S. Lewis is saying is, look, you never put your feelings before actions when it comes to yourself. And love is beginning to learn how to do that for other people. To begin to move toward people in action regardless of how you feel about them. We get stuck with other people because we want the feeling first. And love isn't even supposed to work that way. Um, some of you are, guys are so up in your head about the people in your life and about like how you feel about them and like how you're supposed to treat them that like you spend so much time just sort of thinking that you never actually pursue someone else's good. I was thinking about this last night talking to Jeff, and I don't I don't pretend to know how things work so much at the Air Force Academy or I'm not a military person, but he was talking about the rankings. That, that go on at the military, at the Air Force Academy, everyone is ranked. And I just thought, this must be so hard 
to work for someone else's good when at the end of the day, they may be ranked ahead of you. But we all do that. Like on every campus where we're ranking ourselves with the people around us. And that prevents us from, from seeking and serving other people. Because, look, we don't want to be inauthentic, and I get that. But authenticity is active toward other people. This is, um, love is not a feeling state. And this is why the Bible can say, hey, you can love somebody you don't like. You can even love your enemy. Um, because love, Martin Luther King Jr. said, love is the only force that's capable of turning an enemy into a friend. You don't have to like that person. You don't have to feel strongly about that person, but you can love them. Lewis, again, says this. He says, don't waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you're behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. Um, feelings so often come after actions for us um, when, we're, when we're with Jesus. So first, love is not an action. It's a, a Love is an action. It's not a feeling. But secondly, love is not transactional. We don't love people to receive something in return from them. We love freely as a gift. Nothing God does in this passage, it's amazing. If you think about how God is talking about his love in this passage, every time he loves his people, they turn away from him, right? Um, it, says, it says the more that they were called, the more that they went away. And then uh, there's this other part that's so heartbreaking. He says, I took them up by their arms. Think about a child. You're taking them up by their arms. You're helping them learn how to walk. And it says they didn't know that it was me. They didn't even have the, 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 the thoughtfulness or the awareness to know that it was me that was working in them. God continues to love us despite our unfaithfulness to him. God doesn't love so that he can feel like a good God, so he can get a pat on the back and everyone say, look how amazing God is. God merely loves as a free gift overflowing from his goodness to us. And here's, here's the thing. God created every person in this room in his image. And what that means is that every person in this room is worthy of love because you bear the image of God. And God responds to that. He says, you are worthy of love. We, we do this thing where we're like, I'm so unworthy, I'm so unworthy. God looks at you and he says, no, I don't see unworthy. I see someone that is, that is reflecting my image and who is worthy of being loved. And that's why we love other people, because people deserve to be loved. God gets the opposite of love in this passage. He gets rejected and forgotten. You guys know, like, if you're reaching out to somebody that you're into, you'd much rather get rejected than just completely ignored, right? And yet God says he, he endures both of those things for us. But love gives freely regardless of the response that we receive, okay? Um, ultimate example, and I'm, I'm not trying not to, like, be a spoiler, but Harry Potter's been out for a long time, y'all. Um, <laughs> Severus Snape is one of the most beautiful examples of someone loving somebody in secret, receiving no outward benefit, enduring shame and rejection for love. And nobody knew. That's what is so beautiful about Snape. I won't give away anymore. But if my Harry Potter people, you're like, <clears throat> okay. Especially that girl that had a martyr's map bag, wherever you are. Um, we, we hit it off on Harry Potter. But here's the thing. We're almost always transactional in our love. We love people, usually, so that they will give something to us in return. They will give us some interest. They will give us an opportunity. They'll give us a break. They'll give us a call. Um, and we do that because we want to be thought well of and we want to be liked. And we feel like we need things. And we, one of our, man, 
tools that we use so often is, is the act of love for other people. But if you're loving someone to get something in return, it's not love, but prostitution. And that's what I think was so hard for Gomer, Hosea's wife, and if you read the beginning part of this book, is that for her to receive love fully without, like, like to give love without expecting to receive something in return was so foreign to her because she's used to loving to receive payment. And we love to love to receive payment. And sometimes, like, we treat God like he's, like, our weed dealer, right, you know? Like... <clears throat> If you've ever bought weed or known someone that bought weed, um, generally that your weed dealer and their name is usually like Rock or something, you know, um, isn't someone that you hang out with, but you're super friendly with them when you're buying weed from them, right? Like, like you, I'm not assuming that anybody in here has done this. It's just when you're hanging out with them, you're like having a great time. And then when you leave, you're like, that dude is scary. Like, um... <laughs> And, and on my campus, and I don't know how it is on y'all's campuses, our campus is very, very concerned about activism. And that's one of my favorite things about Appalachian State, is our students are studying social work, they're studying sustainable development, they're studying nursing, education, because they want to make a difference in the world. And because they care about the oppressed. They care about justice for people that have been denied justice. But what I'm always telling them is like to be careful, because a lot of time their care and their, their interest for the oppressed has a lot more to do with them distinguishing themselves from their peers than actually loving the people that they want to love. Like, if, if, you, if you offered up a typical App State student, like, people will know that you're amazing social justice warrior or, like, you'll actually be helping somebody. Like, that would be a very difficult decision for them to make. And that's how we are. And that's why we usually, I think, get bored with our activism. Um, is because it's about us. And I always tell them, I say, can you love the person at the rally on Saturday as much as you can love, like, your backward grandpa on lunch on Sunday? Um, and if you can, then you're actually beginning to love. But we don't really do that. Um, my pastor in Boone, he always says that, you know, we use outrage as an excuse to not love people. Like, if you can, if you can do something that outrages me, then I can actually justify not loving you. Like, well, did you know that they said this or they think this way? Um, But God never uses outrage as an excuse to not love us. We decide that something is so vital that I'm justified in ending the relationship, writing you off. But there's nothing that justifies withholding love from another human being because they're created in God's image. We love because we seek the good of another, even when it does nothing for us. And the the way that we know that God's love is true in this passage is in in, in verses 5 through 7. I won't really dig into it, but... God tells his people, like, hey, you're going to suffer. Like, there are ways that I have to discipline you um, because you've been unfaithful. And, like, you have to, like, 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 you have to learn. Like, you have to be disciplined in my love. We know that God's love is true because he does things to us and in our lives that involve pain for us. Um, and uh, Elizabeth Elliot, she said, God never withholds from his child that which his love and wisdom call good. Basically, what she's saying is that God's never going to withhold something from you that's going to make you more like Jesus. And God is able to do that in his love because his love is real. It doesn't always feel like flowers. It's a real love that speaks the truth to us. And that means that there are times in your life when you're going to have to speak honestly to a friend because they're hurting themselves or they're hurting someone else. And they need you to step in and cause momentary pain in their life in order to love them. And you'll run the, the, you'll run the risk of wounding that person but a skilled surgeon knows how to do temporary harm, right, for ultimate good. 
And that's what God does in our lives when he takes away gently the things that we love and replaces it with a love for him. And my question is, are you letting your need to be thought well of keeping you from loving people in your life, um, from being active in their lives? Love is seeking the good of another solely because of their intrinsic value. And look, that means that love is impossible for us. We've never been loved that way by another person to this being loved and expecting nothing in return. We've never loved another person in that way. Um, it's beyond us, and here's why. When we were doing the confession of sin, there was a line there that stood out to me about how, how cold we've been. Like, our, our faith is dull because our hearts have even been even duller toward God. And our great problem with God is not what we do with our bodies, or what we do with alcohol, or what we do with our time. Our great sin is that we find God so boring. We find his work in our life so um, unexciting, and we are so disinterested and unsatisfied with him. You guys know this if you've ever been in a relationship, that someone could do all the right things. They could show up when they say they're going to. They can buy the things they want to do. They can say all the right things. They can say, you look nice. But at the end of the day, you know if they're not in it. <laughs> I've been married 10 years. Last week, I took my wife out to dinner, and um, she wore a new dress. I helped with the kids, especially to get them down, made the reservation at a place we hadn't been to before, told her she looked great, you know, just like crushing it, like just hitting all the boxes. <laughs> and then we get in the car, and she said, you know, sometimes it feels like you don't even really like me anymore. And um, everyone's like, oh, dang, that's real. Um, <laughs> because she knows that I've been distracted from her. Um, and that is, that is us before our God. And the good news in Jesus um, is that we are always responding to Jesus' love to us. He is not responding to our love to him. Um, 1 John 4 says this, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but he loved us and sent his Son to be the payment for our sins. The best news you could ever hear is that in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. That while we were yet sinners, he loved us. That we love because God loved us. And love is not a principle. It's not a virtue. It's not something, a character trait to put on. Love is a person. And his name is Jesus. And he makes himself available to you so that you can truly know his love. You can know love. Because love is a person named Jesus and you can get to know him. You can share in his love. He invites you in to know him and to rest in his love. And look, loving your roommate, loving your friends, loving your family, loving your community is possible when you're responding to a love that was freely given to you and nothing was expected in return. That is how we can actually begin to move toward other people. Uh, my friend was telling me recently they had their first child, and their child was six weeks old. And I'll tell you what, there is nothing that will ruin your life like a six-week-old child. Um, and he had to be out of town for a couple days, and he came home, and uh, he, said, he said, I just got home. I can't believe how much I missed him. And if you've ever been with a six-week-old child... Like, they're nothing but, like, a negative to your life. Like, they, like they, um, they contribute nothing to your house, literally. Um, you have to be with them all the time. They adversely affect the health of the parents. Like, they make your, the parents unhealthy. You're never sleeping. You're stressed out all the time. Um, 
But I tell you what, boy, this daddy missed his son. Like, he just longed to be with him. He longed to just smell his hair. Um, and that, that just so closely mirrors God's love for us. Not that we bring anything to the table that should make him love us, but he just does. Um, he delights in us. He wants to scoop you up into his arms and to just, just hold you, even though you're unfaithful. And look, that's why only the gospel can compel us to true love. Because God is the source of our love. It's located out, outside of us. And a Christian can love from a place of having received a love that's not earned. Uh, I, want, I just want to end with a story. I didn't really plan on saying this, but um, <clears throat> but I, I told it to our students recently. And I, I know some of you guys, like, you don't have, like, your parents in your life. And um, I was just realizing, it's my mom's birthday, so I'm, I'm going to cry tell them the story about my mom. That's fine. Um, my dad uh, split, you know, like, when I was a baby. And, like, he was around for a while, but he kind of, like, faded out. And, uh, like I said, my mom, teenage pregnancy, and uh, it just happened. And um, so, anyway, so, like, they had got divorced, like, right after I was born, pretty much. And um, I'm just going to drink a water. Close myself. Uh, <laughs> and um, I hadn't talked to my dad, like, I talked to my dad twice in, like, the last 15 years. And the last time I, I called him... And I said, uh, it was my, my, we were pregnant with our first daughter. She's six now. And my wife, like, guilt tripped me into calling him. And uh, she, like, shamed me. And she was like, if this was my parents, you would make And so I was like, okay. And so I called him. And you know what he said? He said, um, he said, Chris, the thing that happened with your mom was the worst mistake of my life. And uh, he said, I wish it had never happened. And uh, that was, that's hard to hear, you know, because, like, you're like, that's me. Um, and, uh, I talked, it just made me think, like, every time I talk to my mom, me and my mom have, you know, issues, it's fine. Um, but every time my mom has talked about what happened with my dad, think, think about the pain that she's gone through, teenage pregnancy, she raised me on her own, she worked so much, we lived in a trailer, like, <clears throat> the amount of pain and loss it has put in my mom's life, and she's always said, I would do it all again, because I got to have you, like, just to be with you. And, like, that is such a beautiful glimpse at how God loves us, that everything that he has received from us in a way is loss. But, like, he would do it all again just to love you, because to be with you, and because you are enough for him. And God's intentions are to make you like Jesus. And, look, you can have new life in Jesus. You can have faithfulness because Jesus is faithful to you. You can have joy no matter what's going on because God is good and he's in control. And you can freely love people as coming from a place of freely receiving love in God. And as you go back to your campus, I'll be praying that God gives us the grace to believe it and to follow Jesus. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, thank you so much um, for your great love that is shown abroad in our hearts. <clears throat> and um, I thank you for these friends. And I thank you that um, RUF is a place that we can uh, be vulnerable enough to talk about what's going on inside of us and what's happened to us and what we've done and to know that we can receive love in Jesus. And Lord, I ask that you would help us to be lovers, to be people that love you, to be people that love our neighbor, to be people that love our enemy, because Lord Jesus, you've loved us. You've made, you've taken us from enemies to your dearly beloved sons and daughters. And, um, Lord, I just pray that you would help us to believe that and help us to follow you. We pray in Jesus name.